All right, we welcome you back. Welcome you back. Good to see you all connecting with one another. <clears throat> that is a good thing. Amen. Well, what exciting happened over Christmas break? Um, Michigan, big game tomorrow night. Michigan and what? Washington, huh? Playing. The coach from Washington is from where? Did you guys catch that? The coach from Washington is from, I think, Millbank, South Dakota. So that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, yeah, so that's happening. I, Adam was telling me that my Vikings still have just like a hair slim of a chance to get into the playoffs. I don't know. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see if that happens or not. Uh, getting down to the end of the year. Soon we'll be talking Super Bowl, so... I don't know who's going to be in there. Who's going to be in the Super Bowl? Anybody having a like this idea? Eagles and Ravens. Ravens and 49ers. Yeah, I I could see that. The Ravens are looking pretty. They're looking pretty good. Um, yeah. 49ers, man. There's days that they show up and it's kind of like, wow, nobody can beat them, and then people do beat them. So <laughs> that's kind of like, I don't know. Anyway. All right. Well, today we're going to be in a, a book called Habakkuk. Yeah, isn't that just a great book? All right. It is in your Old Testament. It is towards the end of your Old Testament. It's included in a section of 12 books called the Minor Prophets. All right. And um, they're not called Minor Prophets because these people are less influential compared to like to Isaiah or Jeremiah. It has more to do with the content of their book. So most of the minor prophets can be as short as one chapter. So I think, uh, I'm trying to think which one is. Um, oh, one of them is, I know it is. So there's some of them that are only like one chapter and some are, a lot of them are three, four. There's a couple of them that are more like 10 or 12, but for the most part, they are smaller in nature. Most of them were towards the end of this time when Israel would be going to Babylon for 70 years of captivity. Um, like, um, yeah, so they're kind of in that time frame. Most of them are in there. So there's 12 of them. Habakkuk is one of them, all right? So um, that's where we're going to be. I'll let you find that. And uh, I listened to Mark Borkhart's message last week on Ephesians 3. Great message. If you didn't hear it, I encourage you to find it on our YouTube page. That's also in the Lou Bulletin. There's a link there, so... Uh, just talking about a new, uh, new Year's blessing, uh, looking at Paul's prayer there for the church of Ephesus. So, uh, great message. Uh, you were blessed by, by having him speak. So, um, I have him come and speak. He, uh, he is a hospice chaplain right now in Lincoln. And he, before that, he was selling cars at Honda Lincoln. Uh, but he pastored out in Ogallala for many years, uh, a church similar to us. And uh, he just really has a good pastor's heart. And that's why um, I have him come and speak. All right, we are going to be in Habakkuk. Uh, the theme verse for the Assemblies of God for this week of prayer is taken from a Habakkuk 3.2, which says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Do them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit, uh, quite a bit, uh, here in, in our message um, Habakkuk's po prayer is powerful, especially when you understand the backstory and the conclusion of his prayer found in chapter 3. So that's what we're going to look at today, all right? And uh, 
Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that it comes alive to us today. Uh, speak to us through your word. We give you the thanks. We give you the praise. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. So I can give a little bit of background about Habakkuk. Um, so just a little bit about Israel's history, and I mention this from time to time. Um, you don't need to know a lot of dates. When I was in Bible college, I had to know all the kings of Israel and Judah and kind of know the order of them, and uh, I actually kind of enjoyed some of that. Uh, maybe I'm weird, but I, I kind of enjoyed some of that, all right? Um, but there's some key dates that are important in Israel's history. They come out of Egypt, right? They get settled in the Promised Land. Instead of taking months, it takes 40 years because of their disobedience, okay? And then they get into the Promised Land, and for the, you know, Joshua is kind of their spiritual leader for a while, and then you, you have judges, and that kind of was hit and miss. Some of the judges were good, some were not so good. God would raise up these judges. Um, usually Israel had fallen into a place that they were not serving God and God would raise up a judge to bring them back. Samson, Deborah, um, to name a few, Gideon. All right. And then you have this time where like Samuel, the the prophet, was kind of like the spiritual leader of Israel. And he would be the one that would anoint the first king who was Saul, right? And then you have David and then Solomon. And that... During that time, all 12 tribes of Israel were under one king, okay? And Israel wanted this king. That was never God's plan. God's plan was not for them to have a king. Their king was supposed to be who? It was supposed to be God, right? Yeah. And, uh, but they wanted to be like the other nations and have a king. And so that, that caused them a lot of uh, hardship because some of the kings were good and some were not so good. Some were very evil. All right, but after after Solomon, you have this split in Israel. Um, his son takes the throne, and he's very harsh. He, th- he says, "You know, you thought my my dad was harsh, and you know all this forced labor. They built all these great building projects under Solomon." He goes, "You thought my dad was kind of strict. I'm going to be much worse." And, and a split. You have a split. So ten of the tribes in, in the north stay with Solomon's son and then Rehoboam, and then you have um, um, the king in the south, Judah, all right? And so um, they would kind of go their separate ways. So when you read like Kings, First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you'll see it sometimes it refers to Israel and sometimes it refers to Judah. Well, Judah's the, the two tribes in the south and Israel's the tribes in the north, the ten tribes. So Israel would end up getting to this place of judgment quicker than Judah, all right, because of their sin, all right? And God says, I've, I'm having enough. And so Assyria comes down from the north, a wicked nation, brings destruction, um, settles there. So when you have the Samaritans, you read about the Samaritans in Scripture. Well, that came part of that invasion in that they were kind of mixed breed with some of the Assyrians, they weren't pure Jewish people in, in their bloodline. And so that's where the, you have the Samaritans. And so the Jewish people would not associate with the Samaritans. All right. So they come down and they take captive of those 10 tribes in the north, stop short of taking Jerusalem. Hezekiah, we've talked about Hezekiah. Hezekiah was pretty significant. He goes before God. God sends this angel, just totally destroys the Syrian camp by this angel, just wipes out the army, and they retreat. It was a divine action of God. 
All right, so Judah's okay for about 150 years, and then 586, they get to the same place as Israel, and God says, I've had enough. Um, and I'm bringing judgment, and God would bring in Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, um, to bring judgment on the people of Israel, all right? And it wouldn't just be a quick thing. It would be um, many lives would be lost. The temple would be plundered. Um, a lot of the valuable things would be taken back to Babylon. A lot of people were killed. And then you have like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They would be taken back to Babylon. Ezekiel, he writes his book from, he was a priest, he writes that from Babylon. Um, and, and so all that takes place in Babylon. They were there for 70 years. They thought they were just going on a camping trip. And God says, no, you're not going to, it's going to be a while. You're going to be there 70 years. Get comfortable, have families, pray for the peace and prosperity of the nation that has just taken you captive. That's powerful. Um, Habakkuk, where does he fall in this? He falls right as Babylon is coming in to bring judgment on Israel, on Judah, more specifically, all right? And, and so we're going to, I want to just touch briefly on chapter 1 and 2, and then um, chapter 3 is where we'll spend most of our time, all right? And so Habakkuk begins in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out violence to you, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife, there's conflict, it abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. You ever feel like that? Sometimes when you turn on the news, and whether it's in our nation or in our world, the wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. God, you're not doing enough is what he is saying. The Babylonians are coming in and they are bringing injustice. Good people are being killed, the innocent are dying. And God says, God, where are you? God, I'm crying out to you, you're not hearing my prayers. Wow, have you ever had cried out to God and said, God, you're not hearing my prayers? Well, then we get the Lord's response, and He says, yeah, the Babylonians are coming, they're like cheetahs, they're like, well, what are some of the words? He gives some really good here. Um, they're like cheetahs, they're like leopards, they're, they're swifter than leopards, they're like wolves, fierce wolves hunting at dusk, um, and they're going to come in and devour the nation. Wow. So Habakkuk's second complaint starts in chapter, uh, chapter 1, 12 through the end there through 17. He says, God, you're doing too much. <laughs> you're doing too much. You're using the wicked to judge the righteous. You ever think about that? With Assyria, God did the same thing. The Assyrians were known, known for their brutality. They would take their captives and the people that they would take, and they put hooks, big hooks in their jaw, and just drag them to death by horse, you know, behind the horse. Kill them. Pregnant women, they'd rip them open and let them die. They were brutal. And they used that fear, that tactic to subdue other nations. How can God use a wicked nation to bring justice upon those that would be considered righteous? He does it with Babylon as well. And the Lord gives an answer in chapter 2. Um, there's a key verse there, verse 4. <clears throat> 
2, 4. We're going to come back to that. But God says, indeed, I'm going to use Babylon. And this is what he tells Habakkuk. He says, you know what? I will judge Babylon. Their day is coming. And, And God would judge Babylon. In one night, Babylon would lose its power. You'd have Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, actually, I think, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in heaven. Why? Because Daniel was very instrumental in working in his life. Think about the miracles that Nebuchadnezzar saw. Um, and even, you know, he's the one that kind of went out, right? Went out and for, what, seven years was like living like an animal. And then God restored him. And he, he praised the God of heaven. I don't know. I don't know. We do, uh, that's in God's... But I wouldn't be surprised if we see him there. The, the, God used people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to lead him to that place. But then his son takes the throne. He's wicked. He, he has no respect for the things of God. And in one night, Daniel gives a prophecy, the writing on the wall. Um, and in one night, the Persians take over. And God would bring his destruction upon Babylon. So God says, hey, their day is coming. Their day's coming. I haven't forgot about Babylon, all right? And he hadn't forgotten about the Syrians, but he was going to use these sources to judge God's people. Um, kind of interesting. So let's go to verse 4 of chapter 2. This is our first point. In the midst of all this, he says, See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. God acknowledges that Babylon's not an upright nation. They're not a good nation. They're wicked. All right? But the righteous person will, what? Will live, right? Um, Chapter 2, Chris. It should be chapter 2. I don't think that... um, to, um, um, he says, see, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Will live by his faithfulness. Um, so that's chapter 2, verse 4. So this is where I want our first principle, and the other ones kind of flow out of this. The righteous person will live by whose faithfulness? By God's faithfulness. And so the first principle there is that God's faithfulness sustains us. God's faithfulness sustains us. Um, The word translated righteousness can mean just or upright. Um, It is a reference to those who live according to God's word and walk in His ways. Was all of Israel following God? No. That's why God was bringing judgment. But I believe Habakkuk was. I believe he was one that was following God. He was seeking God. He was following after Him. And at times, a good person can be caught up in the wickedness around them, and the judgment comes on both the righteous and the just. Right? I think there's times that God has allowed things to happen to our nation. Um, God just doesn't kind of just transport the justice out the, the just people out of there, right? We have to live through it just as they had to in the days of Babylon. Habakkuk, I believe, was a good person. He's a righteous person. And God was going to act justly with Babylon in his time, but at this moment and in this time, the righteous 
were going to have to endure what God was bringing. God was not unfaithful. Uh, God is not only faithful in the good times of life, but He's also faithful in the times when things are difficult, when there's uncertainty, chaos, trouble, in the face of injustice, evil, and turmoil. And what God was telling Habakkuk is the righteous will live, and they will live by His faithfulness. God was telling Habakkuk, hey, I'm not going to forget you. There's going to be chaos around you. You're going to see injustice take place around you. But I'm going to have my hand upon you, upon your life, because you're walking with me. Amen? I like, I like there's a song by We the Kingdom. You'll hear it on Christian radio. It's called Miracle Power. I don't like the whole song. I mean, not, it's not bad or anything. It's just, it's the bridge the bridge of that song. And it says, I may not know what a day may bring, but I know who brings the day. And on the darkest night when I cannot see, still my soul will say, I believe in miracle power in a wonder-working God. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, working wonders in my heart. I belong to a loving Father. I'm a friend of Christ, His Son. See, whether the things in our life are going good or they're not going good, those things do not change. God is still a miracle-working God. All right? And you're still filled with the Holy Spirit if you're seeking His face. And you belong to Him and you are His friend. Right? Whether things are good or things are not good. These are foundational truths that we can build our life upon. You know, here's the deal. None of us knows what 2024 will be like. And after 2020, we kind of are gun-shy. I don't know. Are you that way? Right? Um... None of us knows if it's going to be a good year, bad year. We don't know. God does. But here what we do know is that God will allow the righteous to live by His faithfulness. Amen? His faithfulness will sustain us and allow us to thrive and live in a world regardless of the circumstances that surround us. Secondly, we're going to now jump to chapter 3. God gives his answer. I think verse 20 of chapter 2, we're going to come back to. But he reminds Habakkuk, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth be silent before him. God is saying, hey, you know what? I'm in control. Even though it may look like chaos around you, I'm in control. And I know what I'm doing. Let the earth be silent. And then we get into chapter 3. This is his prayer. And so we're going to look at verse 2 and then the latter part of it. Um, and, and so it's a song or a psalm. Okay? And you'll see it if you look in your Bible. There's actually um, at the end of that, right at the very end of verse 19, it says, for the director of music on stringed instruments. So there's actually instructions here of how to play this Song. It's not a happy song. It's a dirge. It's a lament. All right? But this is Habakkuk's prayer um, that he's crying out to God. And so, verse 2, which is the theme verse for our week of prayer, says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. I've heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds. Had Habakkuk seen the deeds of God? 
I don't think so. Because he goes on and talks about, if you read through this, he's going to talk about um, references probably to them crossing through the Red Sea, okay? And he's going to make other illustrations how God brought them into the promised land and, and brought deliverance. Had Habakkuk seen that? No, that had taken place hundreds of years before him. But Habakkuk has read it. He knows what God is capable of doing, even though he hasn't seen it with his own eyes. And he says, God, in my day, I've heard of your fame. I've, I've read your scriptures. I've, I've, I know what you are capable of doing in our day. Repeat what you've done in the past. Remember mercy in the midst of judgment of your wrath and repeat your goodness in our day. Repeat them again. The second principle that I, I think we, we can see there is that God's faithfulness inspires bold prayers. And even though Habakkuk maybe hadn't seen all these miracles take place, he had read them. And it was part of Israel's history. And he says, God, do it again. Repeat these things in our day. I know that you love your people and you are capable of doing these things again. God, do them again. God, do them again. You know, in our history as a fellowship, well, I'm gonna, I'll come back to that. This is what Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. And then he goes on in verse 6, And without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. God's faithfulness in the past gives us faith to pray bold prayers in the future. And that's especially true when we sometimes can't, it doesn't, we can't see this stuff, right? You know, when things, when you got good momentum and everything has fallen in place, man, it's easy to pray a prayer of faith, isn't it? But when things look hopeless and things look dark and it's kind of like, I don't know how God is going to answer this prayer, it gets a little bit harder to pray that prayer of faith. Right? Right? It is for me. But Habakkuk, I mean, it, it's looking like all-out war where Habakkuk is and when he's writing. And he's saying, God, I want you to do in my day what you did back then. That was taking a lot of faith because everything around him looked like death and destruction. He says, God, hear my prayer. Renew these things in our day. You know, in our nation's history, there have been several revivals and renewals in our nation that we've experienced in 247 years. I think that's about how long our nation has existed. So somebody fact-checked me on that, but I think it's close. Um, You have the Great Awakening in 1734. So when did we become a nation? All right. So in 1734, we had Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield who were instrumental in the Great Awakening. Jonathan Edwards is the one that preached the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It's like he was dangling them over the pit of hell. People were running to the altar to be saved. It's one of the great messages um, in uh, church history. Um, Great Awakening, thousands came to know Christ. And he had the second Great Awakening about 70 years later, 1800 to 1840, uh, Charles Finney, man, great preacher. He would walk into factories 
without saying a word, people would start falling down on their knees, confessing their sins, seeking God. He wouldn't even say a word. The Holy Spirit was so powerful in his life. Businessman revival happened in 1857. Jeremiah Lampier. He said, God, what would you have me to do? He was a businessman. He wasn't a credentialed minister. He said, God, what do you want me to do? What would you have me do? And he started this prayer meeting over lunch, and phew, revival took place in New York, I believe. Civil War, 1861, 65, after the Civil War, many soldiers came to know Christ. There was a revival that took place. The urban revivals, 1875 through 1885. D.L. Moody. So there's Moody and Lincoln, right? Right? Moody Bible Institute. Is that right, that in Lincoln? That's in Chicago. What's in Lincoln? Back to the Bible. All right. Moody's in Chicago. All right. And then you had the revivals in the 1905, 1906, Billy Sunday. 1906. What happened in 1906? I'm looking at Andy. Azusa Street Revival. Azusa Street Revival. What happened with the Azusa Street Revival? That's where William Seymour, that's where the Assemblies of God, that was what the foundational for the Assemblies of God. That was what we came out of that revival. And then in World War, after World War II, 1947 to 48, you had the Latter Rain Movement um, and Billy Graham, some of those. And then 1960s and into the 70s, you had the Charismatic Renewal and the Jesus Movement, so the Jesus Revolution Movement. Uh, that happened in that time. Um, in the 90s, Promise Keepers. How many remember the Promise Keepers? Yeah. I took a group of men to um, the Metrodome in Minneapolis, packed it out. Um, that was a great move of God. Toronto Blessing, Brownsville Revival. Some good things happened there. When you pastor through those, you also have to deal with sometimes the excess there, but uh, some good things. And then, you know, even more recently, last year you had the Osbury uh, renew- revival where people came from all across our nation to this Bible college to seek God. You know, God has done some great things in our nation's history. And I believe we need to ask that bold prayer saying, God, do it again, right? In our day, hear our prayer. I uh, Charles Greenaway, he's with the Lord now. Christy, do you remember Charles Greenaway? He was a missionary to Africa and then in Europe. Um, but I remember, I remember him. It, w- it had to be in 1990. And I realize that's before some of you were even born. Um, it was my senior year of Bible college and it was part of the leadership. But we met with him in the office before he spoke in chapel that day. And I just remember his prayer. It wasn't elaborate. It's just, God, one more time. One more time. Do it again. One more time. I, I found a message of his, and I kind of listened to it. And um, It was from a camp meeting. It was just audio. Um, just kind of that old Pentecostal preaching is what it reminded me of. But that prayer, I, I, there's a lot of things I've forgotten over the years, okay? But I still remember that simple prayer, saying, God, one more time. He'd experienced God working in powerful ways in the past, and he says, God, one more time. And he, he, he died three years later. It was there. He died in 1993. He was with us in 1990. He would, technically was probably retired. He still had the fire of God in his heart. He was still preaching. He probably preached almost to the day he died. I don't know. Um, but he said, God, one more time. 
one more time. Do it again. May our prayer be today, God, hear our prayer. Do it again. Send revival, deliver, restore, heal our nation. Um, Our faith is not based upon maybe what we see, but rather on what God has done in the past, His faithfulness. See, that's what Habakkuk really, really builds upon is God's faithfulness because what he's seen around him looks pretty hopeless, but he's saying, God, I know of your faithfulness. I know what you've done in the past. Now do it again. Now let's go to verse 17. I'm going to move it along here. Habakkuk prays his prayer. And then he gets to um, 16, he kind of concedes. He says, I'll wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. And this is what he says in verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, and though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Savior. Habakkuk realizes that his faith can safely be put in God's hands. Not only as a matter of national survival, but also of personal well-being and even existence. Judah's economy was based upon agriculture, right? Crops, olives, grapes, figs, livestock, sheep, goats, cattle. And with Babylon coming in, all that would be taken away. How would they survive and how would they live? Right, And Habakkuk says, you know what, I'm okay with all that. The third point is that God's faithfulness causes us to live confidently. There again, it's, it's easy to live confidently in times of prosperity and peace. But when things aren't going well, you know. Right now, I don't think we're technically in a recession, but we are dealing with inflation. <clears throat> and I was... You know, I splurged and went to DQ to get a blizzard. And it's kind of like, you know, this I paid more for a blizzard than I used to pay for a full meal at Burger King, right? It was over seven bucks. It's kind of like, really? I, that's one thing I need, need to cut out, right? Um, the passage that Amy read at the beginning, Psalms 1, 1 through 3, it says that, the person that walks with God and walks in step with God and makes the law of the Lord his delight and meditates on his word day and night, he will be like a tree planted by the what? Streams of water which yield its fruit in season. It does not, it won't, his leaves won't wither and whatever he does will prosper. And what that is a picture of whether things are good or bad, God has promised to prosper the righteous, the just to provide for them, even in times of plenty and times when things are scarce. They'll be like that stream planted by streams of water. And verse 18 also points out another thing. Not only can we live confidently, but he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Savior. And it points out the difference between joy and happiness because happiness is based upon our circumstances, right? Right? If things are going well, um, we get that win, good, things are good financially, good crop, um, happenings, right? But joy surpasses happiness because it's based upon our relationship with God. And 
the circumstances that Habakkuk was dealing with were less than ideal. He was going to watch his nation destroyed, and I don't know how it impacted him. Maybe he had to flee. Maybe he had to go meals without eating. We don't know. Maybe he was killed. We, we really don't know a whole lot what happened after that. But Habakkuk says, I will rejoice in the Lord. You notice, I will. It's kind of that declaration. It's um, not something he's feeling, but it's something that he's going to do, a conviction. The fourth point is that God's faithfulness causes us to live joyfully. It causes us to live joyfully because it's based upon our relationship with God and God's faithfulness, that God is going to be faithful to us. And I've talked about this in, in uh, Philippians, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but we can rejoice in God because of His faithfulness. Verse 19, The Sovereign Lord is my strength, He says. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Man, I don't know how many you want feet of a deer, right? Cloven feet, right? Um, it's quite a sight to not only just see a deer out in the wild, especially if on a hill or a mountain, just how easy they make it look, right? They have their feet, just give them good footing, and they can go up there, and they have the power in their legs, and they just make it look easy, right? And we go up there, it's kind of, <gasps> we're going to die, right? Okay? But the image he gives us is, he, Habakkuk says, you, you're giving me, the ability, you give me strength, you're going to allow me to rise over the mountain that is before me and you allow me to scale it. You know, I don't know what mountains maybe are facing you as you're going into this year. I don't know. Maybe health, maybe financial, maybe relationship issues. But our last principle is that God's faithfulness will cause us to live in strength. God will give you the strength to handle that mountain that is before you and to tackle it. Amen? Um, we can trust God's faithfulness. You know, Jill, I think she got my sermon notes. She was talking about, singing about the faithfulness of God. But we can trust God's faithfulness. I think that's so important because um, there are moments and times where we can say, God, I, I don't feel you. I don't have the goosebumps, and I don't feel like the presence of God is there. And, and so we have to rely upon God's faithfulness in the past. That it becomes the springboard. That becomes the foundation for our faith in times where we don't have and sense the presence of God like we would like to. You following me? And there are times that you're going to go through the wilderness because God wants you to grow. He wants you to walk by faith and not by sight. And I want to kind of close with this. I'm going to have the musicians come. So Caleb is a great picture of strength, right? How many of you know the story of Caleb? Caleb is one of the spies. So they come out of Egypt. They go through the wilderness. It was supposed to be a quick trip. And they come to the south side of what is now Israel, Kadesh Barnea. And they send the 12 spies in there. They come back. And what did they say? They're too big. The people there are like giants. There's no way we can go in there. They'll crush us. They'll destroy us. But Caleb and Joshua said, "What? God will surely give us the land. 
But the testimony of the other ten swayed the people. And they turned on Moses. And they said, we were too afraid to go in. God was furious with the people. In fact, all of that generation died in the wilderness. They wandered out there in circles for 40 years. So all that generation had died. And when they come to the promised land, they come in now from the east side across the Jordan River by Jericho. It was all new blood. The only two people from that generation of those that went into the promised land the first time and saw it were who? Joshua and Caleb. See, Joshua was 40 when he went in that first time. Now 45 years have passed. If you go to Joshua 14, 6 through 15, I'm going to jump to verse 7, Chris, verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of God, gave me, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, on the land in which your feet have walked, I will give you as an inheritance and your, peop- your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now just as the Lord had promised, He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time He said this to Moses while Israel moved in the wilderness. So here I am today. I am what? 85. we have anybody 85 here? Bob. This is the powerful part. I'm still, verse 11, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out and battle now as I was then. Now give me the hill country that the Lord promised me on that day. So God has given it to him, but he still had to go kick out the enemy that was there. He goes, I'm all in. Gives him the area of what I think was Hebron. Joshua blesses him. And Caleb went out and conquered and took what was his. Wow, strength. Strength. You know, Habakkuk starts off his book in depression and doubt as to God's righteousness and justice. And in our world, that can really get twisted around because justice often is perverted. Whether it's in our nation or in this world. But he ends with a lively confidence in God's provision and sustaining power. And so what happened? What happened between the beginning of his book and the end? I think it's the end of chapter 2 where he encounters God and he's reminded of God's faithfulness. He was reminded that God is on his throne. He's in his temple. He has never left there. He has our lives in His hands. He has this world in His hands. He's not going to let you go if you trust Him. And He will allow the righteous to live by His faithfulness. And so I think there was a God moment there for Habakkuk where all this was not making sense to him. 
but he encountered God, a holy and awesome God. He says, God, I trust you. And I trust that you're going to take care of me. I trust that you're going to take care of my people. And my prayer for myself and even for all of us here today is that we may encounter God in his faithfulness, which awakens, so the message is called awakeness, that awakens us to pray boldly, to live confidently, to live joyfully, to live each day with strength that he provides. Amen? I'm going to repeat that one more time. My prayer is that we may encounter God in his faithfulness, which will awaken in us, awaken us to pray boldly, to live confidently, to live joyfully, and to live each day with the strength he provides. Amen. That's my prayer for you today. Amen. Lord, um, we're your people. We're called by your name. And Lord God, we don't know what this next year holds, this 2024. We don't know what it is. We're just a few days into it. But God, we do know your track record and your faithfulness. And that you will cause the righteous to live by your faithfulness. In times when things are scarce, you will provide food, clothing, shelter. Lord God, when things look discouraging and depressing, you will provide the joy of the Lord that comes through our relationship with you. When we feel apprehensive about the next day, the next week, the next month, Lord, you have said that you'd give us the confidence that we need. And Lord God, when we are weary, man, how many times I've heard that we are tired the last week, the last part of this year, last year. God, you've promised to give us the strength that we need to live. And Lord God, do it again. We've heard of what you've done. We, we've, we know your Bible, Lord God. The stories of deliverance, provision, the miracles. Lord God, like Habakkuk, we're saying, God, we've heard of them. But in our day, do them again. Hear our prayer. Touch our land. Touch our nation. Touch our communities. Touch our church, I pray. Do it again, I pray. Praise God. Stir our hearts, Lord God. Awaken them, Lord God. If there's just even just that in our own heart, just a sense of numbness, Lord God, awaken our heart to sense, to feel your presence, to know your faithfulness, Lord God. Make us alive to you, I pray. Make us alive to you, I pray. Hallelujah. Would you stand this morning? And they're going to close us with a prayer, a song. Um, if you need prayer this morning, I'm going to have Gary and Christy, if you'd join me at the front, if you want prayer this morning. But would you just give God this, this year? And if there's something specifically that's upon your heart, I want you to pray boldly this morning. And just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in your heart this morning.
here today. Uh, we're just human. We're clay vessels, Lord God, and too often we, we operate off of what we see and we sense and we feel. But Lord God, faith operates off of what we cannot see and often what we cannot feel. It's based upon your word and it's based upon your faithfulness, Lord God. And Lord God, I pray your blessing over each person here as we begin this new year, Lord God, that we can do it knowing that your faithfulness will cause us to live with confidence, that it will cause us to live with joy, that your provision will be enough, Lord God, and that your strength will be enough for each and every day. Lord God, as we encounter you, we encounter your word and allow your Holy Spirit to fill us, Lord God, you will be enough, Lord God. And Lord God, help us to pray those bold prayers. Pray bold prayers, Lord God, that are led and directed by your Holy Spirit. Lord God, let us believe you for great and mighty things, we pray. Lord God, may the best days that you have not be just in the past, but may they be still yet in the future, Lord, of what you want to do. Lord God, go with us this day. Let your spirit go with us. Keep working in our lives even after we leave this place. Keep working in our hearts. As we dive into your word, as we spend time in prayer this week, Lord God, be speaking to us. Be speaking to your people. Lord God, take us into your word and just show us your word and your truth, Lord God. Spark a fire in our heart. Maybe we're the flame is, is growing low or maybe it's just ashes, Lord God, fan into flame that gift, that fire within us, we pray. Lord, let us be the people you've called us to be. Lord God, we ask this in your precious and your wonderful name this morning. In your name we ask. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Greet each other as you leave. And God bless you.